It's very good to be here this evening. Uh, I'd like to say I appreciate Doug's prayer on my behalf. It's my prayer as well that the things that we have to study this evening will be the truth and that they'll be edifying to us, that we might draw closer to God. You know, Doug prayed that we might draw closer to God, that the service might be edifying. And that's how I'm going to start my lesson this morning, is, is how do we draw closer to God? I think this verse right here we're going to begin with kind of sums up that thought, sums up how we do that. It's Proverbs 3, beginning in verse 5, and it says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, lean not unto thine own understanding, and all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. How do we draw closer to God? Not by leaning on our own understanding. Not depending on, not counting on, not relying on, not putting our trust in, our thoughts, man's thoughts, the world's thoughts, anything that's not of God. But we draw closer to God by trusting Him. By relying on his knowledge. You know, God knows that we're inclined to go our own way. Left alone, man will drift away. He'll look to his own thoughts, his own desires, his own think-sos. But here, it says for us to acknowledge him. And he'll direct our paths. You know, when we trust the Lord, when we trust His wisdom, we see the direction He has put before us. He's laid a path before us. And God is truth. And that path He's laid before us is not just any path. It doesn't wander around just somewhere. It's a path to heaven. And if we listen, we can follow that path, and we can travel it straight to heaven. So that's why we should lean on God and not our own understanding. You know, this world's hard. It's difficult. There's a lot of struggle. There's a lot of strife. And it's easy for us to get worn down. It's easy for us to get distracted. We get caught up into things, and we, start, we stop studying. We stop growing spiritually. Sometimes we just get complacent. Things are going pretty good. We just get idle. So, this evening, I would like to look at the whole letter of Hebrews. We're not going to read it all word for word, but I'd like to point out a few things and skip through the, the chapters for us to consider this evening. This letter was written to the Jewish converts, to some Jewish converts. They just converted from Judaism to Christianity around the year 64. And their faith had grown weak 
They were wanting to go back to the old ways, to their habits, to their past, to what felt comfortable. They were on a different path. Not the one they set out on that God set them on, but they were looking to their own wisdom. And they were looking back. You know, does that sound familiar? 2 Timothy 4 and verse 3 reads, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust they shall heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and they shall be turned unto fables. You know, in a lot of ways, we're not any different than to those people this letter was written to. You know, we're tempted to turn back. We're tempted to look back into our past. We're tempted to look into the, what we used to be and want to go back. So it's my hope through this study tonight that we can all see that Christ has set a path for us. He's shown us the way to heaven. He's shown us the better way. So let's follow it. Genesis, to where the Gospels are preached in the Bible, is about 4,000 years of history, contained in about 39 books of the Old Testament. The scriptures, they show us time and time again that man left himself draws to evil, draws to sin. He drifts away from God. He drifts away from what's good. And he gets off that path that God set before him. And we just see example after example of that. And all too often today, we as Christians want to hold on to our past. You know, we might not be wanting to go back to Judaism, but I think we can see the similarity between it and us. How we want to hold on to that lifestyle we had before we were Christians. How we want to be in the world and enjoy worldliness, and be selfish. And strive off that path, get off of the path. You know, how does this apply to us today? Well, just as Jesus was the answer we're going to find, I'm going to go ahead and give you the spoiler, Jesus is the answer in Hebrews Jesus is the answer for us today as well. This letter makes it clear that Jesus is superior to fill in the blank. Whatever you want to put in that blank spot at the end of that sentence, Jesus is superior to it. He is better than. Nothing should be more important in our lives. Nothing should come first in our lives. Nothing should come before Jesus in our lives. He is better. He is a better covenant, a better hope, and a better sacrifice. Jesus is the answer for all our problems. So I'd like to start by reading some warnings we find in Hebrews. Hebrews 2, 
Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. We see here, first off, we're given a warning. It says, pay attention. Put earnest heed. You can fall. Don't let them slip. Talks about a great salvation. What is that great salvation? It's the gift of salvation. It's the gift of eternal life. It's that home in heaven. And then he speaks of neglect. Talks about not to, not to neglect. You know, neglect can be on purpose. We can purposely set out to neglect something. We can neglect just by being complacent, as I said earlier. You just not worry about it. And we could neglect because we made poor plans. You know, isn't that how sin really is in our life? It's not very often that a Christian's headed the right direction and just all of a sudden just picks up and turns around and goes 180 degrees the wrong way. It's little changes. It's often very subtle. Small just little turns. You don't hardly ever really notice it at first. But over time, incrementally, we're off of God's path. It says the key here is to be earnest. To make it important. To make it a priority in our lives. To make it special. You know, how serious do we take Christ and his sacrifice? Is it something we just do on Sunday? Is it something we just do when people are around? Or is it the most important thing to us? Do we act like it's the most important thing to us? Romans 12 and verse 2 reads, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt every man the measure of faith. You know, the words that stand out there in that verse to me is conformed and transformed. A renewing. You know, how are we to be different? By thinking different. By putting different by putting good things into our mind. Not holding on to those things of the past. Not looking for those things of the past. How are we to be transformed? By trusting in God. By thinking about our salvation. Thinking about the hope that we now have. Not looking at our own wisdom, not leaning on our own thoughts or man's, but trusting in God. 
Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 5, we find another warning here. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, neither be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as, as with sons. And then verse 11. No chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know, I started with the warning here to show the purpose that the writer had writing to the Hebrews. He was warning them. He cared for them. He cared for their souls, and he cared for their outcome. And that's the same purpose I have today. I care for you. I care for my family. I want us to be right with God. And just as he encourages the Hebrews to use the Scriptures, to use that knowledge they have to correct their lives, I encourage you to do that as well. If you find something wrong or amiss or that you're not on the right path, correct it. That's where we'll find the answers. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects. You know, us as parents understand correcting our children. We do it because we love them. We do it because we want what's best for them. You know, we teach them not to play in the street because we don't want them to be hurt and we don't want them to die. That's why God corrects us. He doesn't want us to die spiritually. You know, the goal of this letter and the goal of this lesson is for us to make sure we're following Jesus, to make sure that we draw closer to God, and to make sure we're on the right path. Hebrews 12, and verse 1, we find another warning. Wherefore, seeing we are also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endures such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. He said, consider Christ. Consider his example, his sacrifice. Consider how different Christ is from mankind. Mankind, by his very nature, is very selfish. And Christ was selfless in his act. It says, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. It's easy to be weary. It's very easy for us to have enough to just be 
just tired of the whole deal. Just be wore down and throw our hands up in the air and say, that's it. It's a struggle. He says, consider him that endured. Remember Christ. Remember Christ was perfect. He came to this world and he lived a perfect life. And he died for our sins to give us hope. So when the weariness comes, when the struggles come, and they will, focus on God. Focus on Jesus. Focus on his example. Remember that he endured. Remember we have a hope of something better. So the first thing we find when we dig into Hebrews is that Christ is better. Hebrews 1, beginning in verse 1, reads, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the world of his power, when he had... <coughs> by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of God of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. In these last days, it begins with God had spoken to them through the prophets, through the fathers. But in these last days, he spoke to him by his son. His son spoke to him directly. He says he's appointed heir of all. He's the creator. The brightness of his glory, express image of his person, upholds all. His power. He purged our sins. He sits at the right hand of God. So much better than the angels. He has an inheritance. He has a more excellent name. Jesus is better. He's just better than everything. John 1, beginning in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life of it was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. All things were made through Jesus. But not only did He create... He died for his creation. You know, the book of Hebrews is so many things. It's a history lesson. If you read the whole book together, it's a history lesson from the beginning to the end there. It also shows the sum and the completion of the law. It goes through where we started there in, in chapter 1, and it shows how Christ, how 
Jesus lived under that law and how he was perfect. And it's a gospel sermon within itself. Hebrews is a wonderful chapter to study. I just, I can't say that enough. Next thing we see is that Christ is better than Moses and the fathers. Hebrews 3, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, insomuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built it all <coughs> things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm to the end. Who was this letter written to again? It was written to people who held Moses in high regard. They grew up under that old law. They grew up learning that that was the most important thing. Moses gave them that law. God, God gave them the law and Moses handed it to them there. And these people wanted to return to that law. They wanted to return to what Moses had delivered them. And he, he tells them here, Moses did not have the power to create. Moses does not have the power to forgive. Christ is a son over his own house. Christ is better than Moses and the fathers and the prophets. John 14 and verse 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except for through me. The last little bit of, of Hebrews 3 that we just read said, firm to the end. You know, only through Christ can we find salvation. No man, not our opinions, not what is popular, not what our family thinks. Only through Jesus. It says, to the end, the path God has set before us will lead us to heaven. It'll help us find peace. It'll help us find comfort. Next thing we see being taught in Hebrews is, is Christ is better than Aaron and the Levites. Hebrews 4 and verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God that he may both offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. And he can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. 
Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sin. Christ lived as a man. It says, He experienced things just as you and I do. And yet he was perfect. Christ can sympathize. Christ knows what we need. He felt pain. He felt loss. He can relate to us. In verse 3 there, it talks about that priest. How he was required make a sacrifice for himself before he could make a sacrifice for the people those priests had to make that offering for their sin because they weren't perfect Christ had no sin he was perfect Christ offers us a better covenant Hebrews 8 and verse 6 but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry insomuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless then no place would have been sought for a second because finding fault with them he says, Behold, the days are coming, say the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. Because they did not continue in my covenant, I will disregard them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Talks about a better covenant established on better promises. We have a loving God, and He wants to have a relationship with you. He says, I will be their God, and they should be my people. 1 Peter 2 and 9 reads, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should. For Show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but you are now the people of God, which had not attained mercy, but now you have attained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. He made a better way for us. He gave us an opportunity. Now we have an opportunity to have mercy to have grace, and to be free from judgment. Christ is a better sacrifice. Hebrews 10, and beginning in verse 1, For the law, having the shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they do offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered, for the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more conscience of sin. But those sacrifices, but in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of the sins every year. 
For it was not possible for the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I am come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of his body, Jesus Christ, once for all. You know, we talked about those sacrifices of bulls and goats. That they never removed sin. That they only rolled that sin forward a year. It says there that Christ's sacrifice was once for all. When Christ died on the cross, it went all the way back and it covered all those sins. And it went all the way forward and covered all the sins. Christ's sacrifice was once for all. 1 Peter 1, beginning verse 19, reads, But the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundations of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him to do <coughs> believe in God and raised him from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. 1 Peter 2 and 24 who his own self bear out our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. In 1 Peter 3 and 18, For God hath also once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Christ's life, his example, and his death, fulfilled God's will. It was, he completed the law. And he was blameless. So how do we apply this to our lives? What do we take away from this tonight? First of all, I think it's clear that we need to be different. 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new passed away here when you look up the words translated there it literally means to die how often how often do we act in our lives as Christians like we don't put much stock into that like maybe it just means to move on from or put behind us or forget about but it literally means to die Romans 6 and verse 5 means, reads, For if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. We cannot be servants of God and sin at the same time. If we try to ride the fence, if we try to keep a foot in the door, 
if we try to hold on to that past, if we look back and think, well, I'd like to do a little bit of that, we can't serve both. Whatever you're holding on to, whatever it is, it's making you a slave to sin. It's coming between you and your God. Let go of it. Draw closer to God. Next, I believe we need to grow spiritually. Hebrews 5 and beginning in verse 11. Of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. Skip down to verse 14. But solid food belongs to those or a full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. In 2 Timothy 2 and 15, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If they'd been growing spiritually there, this letter of the Hebrews wouldn't have had to been written. They would have known the truth, and they would have been able to stop the backsliding that they were doing themselves. You know, the same is true for us today. If we're growing spiritually, we'll be able to spot sin. We'll be able to see the backsliding. We'll be able to see the little changes as they happen and be able to make corrections, be able to repent. And finally, I believe we need to avoid complacency. Hebrews 3 and verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. 1 Corinthians 10 and 12. Let him therefore... Who thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. In Hebrews 10 and 26, For if we sin willingly after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. You know, there are really only two paths. The path that leads to eternal destruction and the path that leads to eternal salvation. Those who choose the path that Christ sets before them will be saved. But those who follow any other path will be punished eternally. Purpose in your heart. Make it a priority. Make it important to draw closer to God. To make sure you're on His path. Hebrews 6 and 17 reads, Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence beyond the veil. We have God's promise 
to ground us. We have God's Word to ground us, to give us a home, to give us a direction, something to lead us to. And it leads us to a home in heaven. Hebrews 9 and verse 28. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Set aside sin. Put your faith in God. Take comfort in your salvation. And have confidence in him. You know, I think this verse here in John 14 and 6, we've already read it, I'm going to read it again summarizes Hebrews very well. Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Christ was the fulfillment of the old covenant. Christ is better. Christ is the pathway. Don't walk away from him. I'm going to finish where we started here in Hebrews 2. It says, Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. You know, let's take these warnings seriously. We'll be, man will drift away from God if he is not Christ-focused. If we are not Christ-centered, we'll be setting our minds on worldly things, on sinful things, on material things. If we put our faith in God, if we hold tight to His Word, we'll find His path, and we'll follow it. And remember, that path leads us to heaven. This is all I have prepared this evening. We're going to offer an invitation at this time. If you if you found yourself weary, and you find yourself lacking, and you need the prayers of the church, we're going to offer the invitation at this time. But we're going to offer the invitation for all those that need to come forward for whatever need as we stand and sing.